Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 3. You know, the book of Romans is, there's a reason why after the book of Acts, the book of Romans comes next. You know that, that Paul's epistles in your Bible are not there chronologically. Uh, of, of the Pauline epistles, the first ones that were written would have been the Thessalonian epistles. Uh, Romans is actually about the sixth of Paul's epistles that he writes in order. But the books in your Bible are not there in a chronological order. The books in your Bible are there in a, in a doctrinal order. And the book of Romans, at, you know, in the New Testament, you have the four Gospels that record the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection. In the book of Acts, you have that transition from the focus being on Israel to another focus being on, on the Gentiles and the body of Christ. And then you have the book of Romans. And Romans is there in that order because Romans is the foundational book of doctrine for the church, the body of Christ. And uh, the, the book of Romans is divided up into, into four sections. Uh, the first section of the book of Romans is about the first five chapters and uh, deals with issues of justification by faith. Uh, then it goes on to talk about in chapters 6 through 8, sanctification, 9, 10, and 11. talks about what happened with Israel and some of those dispensational issues. And 12 through the end of the book, uh, talk about practical matters of presenting your body as a living sacrifice. And in, in that first section of the book of Romans, you have the, the most detailed presentation of the gospel that you have anywhere in the Bible. Uh, in fact, all of the rest of Paul's epistles, really, when they're talking about the gospel, they're talking back to, to those things that are described in those first five chapters of the book of Romans. And the, the book of Romans begins by not, by, not by telling people the good news, but by telling them the bad news. It begins by showing how everyone is guilty before God. And and chapter 1 and chapter 2 and and even the first half of chapter 3 are there to convict the sinner before God. And to show that none is righteous by his works. You can't be righteous by the law. You can't be righteous by by any standard of works. Uh, and, And Paul has to bring the person to that point before he can show them then what the good news is. Here in Romans chapter 3, in in, uh, verse 20, you have kind of the the conclusion of that first part of the book of Romans, where it says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And you know, that verse stands in, in stark contrast to what is taught in religion, whether it, whether it 
go by the name of Christian religion or, or any other religion, which will teach you some list of, of laws, some list of do's and don'ts, that if you attain to that standard, you'll have some, whatever their form of eternal life is. That's what religion teaches. Religion teaches what man has to do to, to reach to God. But you see what the scripture says, it says by the deeds of the law, even by the deeds of God's own law, not not even talking about all the the man-made things that people have, have made up, but even by the deeds of God's own law that he gave to Israel, it says no flesh shall be justified in God's sight. You see, the law was never given for that purpose. It was never given to to justify. Paul says if a law had been given which could have given life, righteousness should have been by the law. But, But the law couldn't do that. You see, it says there that by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law was never there to justify. The law was there to condemn. It was to show the knowledge of sin. And... With, with that conclusion, then, we begin this section of the book of Romans that are some of my, my favorite verses in the entire Bible that present, then, the solution to the problem. The problem is that man is a sinner. The problem is that we are sinners. And God is holy and just and righteous. And we cannot be justified in his sight by anything that we do, by any deeds that we do. But rather, we're condemned by God's law in his sight. But verse 21 begins with the, word, the words, but now. And the word but is a, is a, a contrasting word, right? It's, it's saying there's this truth, but here's something else over here. By the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified, but... And thank God for that but there in that verse. Because if it just ended with verse 20, we would be left without hope before God. But, it says, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Now, it says, but now. And that that now there is indicating a, a time sequence. It's saying there's something that's been manifested, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. There's something that is manifested that's made clear now that wasn't made clear before. There's something that has been been revealed now that wasn't revealed before, and it is the righteousness of God without the law. Now understand, nobody in the history of the world was ever saved or justified before God by keeping the law. But you realize that if you were living in Old Testament times, and you were a believer, and and you believed in the Lord, how were you to express that faith? It was through the keeping of that law. And there was a provision under that law for when you sinned, when you broke the law, you brought the sacrifice and... and, uh, God said that if you brought that proper sacrifice, brought it willingly and with that right attitude of faith, that there was atonement. Okay? Now, you understand that that was only ever a a temporary arrangement. It was something that was a picture of what Christ was going to accomplish. Okay? But that was the system that God gave to them. Now, they weren't 
able to keep it. You know, even the believers. David is called a man after God's own heart. And yet you see serious breaches of the law in David's life. And yet David was a, was a saved man. He certainly was not saved by keeping the law. All right. But, but there under that system, it was the righteousness of God with the law. Right? There was the righteousness of God, but it was, it was with the law, and God gave that law as a, as a national standard there for, for Israel. But you see, it says, now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. They knew about the righteousness of God with the law. We, we know about the righteousness of God without the law. But you see, it says that it's witnessed by the law and the prophets. It's witnessed by the law and the prophets, but it's only now revealed. You realize that there were some things that the prophets wrote about. There are some things in in the law that was given to Moses that those people didn't understand. They couldn't understand because there needed to be further revelation. Peter writes about how the, the prophets... Uh, they, they were searching what or what manner of time the spirit which was in them did signify. Uh, it says it was revealed to them that it was unto us they, they ministered those things. See, there's some things from, from prophecy and in the law that you can only really understand in hindsight. You can only really understand after Christ had fulfilled those things and after you have this, this further revelation. And so they're witnessed by the law and the prophets. Okay, but only now revealed. And verse 22 says, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all that them that believe, for there is no difference. And I hope you, you get the sense as we read down through these verses that these verses are just rich with, with truth and doctrine. Um, every word is important. As you come down through verse 22, it says, even the righteousness of God. And and realize here that all throughout this passage, it's talking about the righteousness of God. Because man doesn't have his own righteousness. You may be able to attain a certain level of righteousness under the law. In fact, the, the Apostle Paul himself, he said of himself that touching the righteousness which was of the law, he said he was blameless. Which didn't mean that he never sinned, but it meant that... He brought the right sacrifice when he did. And he said, he said, touching that, he was blameless. And yet, even somebody who was blameless under that system was unsaved until he met Christ, until he trusted on him. You see, what we need is, is righteousness, but we can't attain our own righteousness. It's the righteousness of God. And, and you see here, it says that that righteousness of God is by Faith of Jesus Christ. Now, if, if, you have, if you're not using a King James Bible this morning, your Bible might read differently in that verse, and it might say, faith in Jesus Christ. Um, that may not seem like a big change, just changing one little two-letter two word to a different two-letter word, but it is a big change. If we talk about the faith of Christ, whose faith is that? That's Christ's faith. Right, The faith of Christ would be the, the, the faith that belongs to Christ. If we talk about faith in Christ, that's talking about our faith. And you know, there's several places in the Bible where it talks about the faith of Jesus Christ. Now, that's not to say that, that our faith 
isn't important. In fact, you see the, the same verse here that talks about the faith of Jesus Christ uh, says that this, this righteousness is unto all and upon all them that believe. That's, that's the, the individual, the person, believing on Christ. But when it talks about the faith of Jesus Christ, go. Uh, I'll show you another example. Go over to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 2, here's another example, uh, same, very similar term that's used, um, and again, it's, you know, the way I read it is going to be the way it is in the King James, in other Bibles, they've changed it, but uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you realize that Jesus Christ had faith? Uh, Jesus Christ was, was God in the flesh, but he was in the flesh, right? He was fully God, but he was also fully man. And as man, Jesus Christ had to have faith, and even, even really as God, even as the Son of God, had to have faith in God the Father. Uh, you see that faith demonstrated the night before his crucifixion when Christ is in the garden, and he says to, to God the Father, he asks if there's any way that that cup could pass from him, but he says, not my will, but thine be done. You realize it wasn't Jesus Christ's will to go to the cross? It wasn't his personal individual will? His personal individual will was to find some other way that he didn't have to go to the cross. But his faith was that he subjected himself to the Father, and he said, I'm going to take that, that human will that I have as a man, and I'm going to subject it to what God's will is. Now, isn't that really what faith is? That's exactly what faith is. Any Anytime you believe God, that's what you're doing. You're taking your natural will, which is natu its natural inclination is not to trust God, and you're saying, I'm going to subject that to, to who God is and subject it to what his will is, right? And so it took faith for the Lord Jesus Christ to go there to the, the cross of Calvary. He had faith in God the Father. He had faith in the promises that God had, had made for him. Uh, it says in, in the scripture that he was able to endure that suffering for the joy that was set before him. He knew the glory, the, the exaltation that was promised to him as a result of the cross. And he was able to go through it. Not only that, he knew what God the Father was going to accomplish through that death in saving people and, and uh, giving them eternal life. And he would rather see the will of God the Father done than his own personal subjective will. That's faith. That's what faith is. And the Lord Jesus Christ had that faith. And when, for instance, here in Galatians 2.20, when, when Paul says, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, he's presenting Christ there as, a, as an example and Christ's faith as an example of how we ought to live. Okay? Now, there's, a, there's an issue of our faith, right? I mean, that takes faith on our part, but he's putting the emphasis on the faith of the Son of God. Back in our text in Romans chapter 3, it's the same thing there. You see, there's the issue of man's faith, 
it, that that righteousness is unto all and upon all them that believe. Okay, but you see where he says it's by faith of Jesus Christ. It man's faith without the faith of Jesus Christ, man's faith would be worthless. You wouldn't have anything to to. To believe in if Christ hadn't gone there to the cross of Calvary. If he hadn't had faith in God the Father and subjected his will to God the Father. And so that righteousness of God, it's by faith of Jesus Christ. It's the faith of Jesus Christ that allows it to be offered unto all and upon all them that believe. Okay? The... Back in our text then, Romans 3, verse 22, when it says it's unto all, you realize that eternal life is something that is, that is offered. There's a, there's a general offer of eternal life that goes out. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is really a, an invitation to eternal life. It, it says your sin has been dealt with at the cross of Calvary and you can receive eternal life. That's what, that's what the gospel is. That Christ died for our sins, he was buried, he rose again the third day, and through that, you can have eternal life if you just receive it. That's what the gospel is, that offer unto all, but all don't receive it. All don't receive the gospel, the vast majority do not receive the gospel. And so, even though it's unto all, it says it's upon all them that believe. Unto all tells you the, the availability of that righteousness of God, but the upon them that believe tells you the applicability of it. Only those who believe receive that righteousness of God. It's unto all, it's offered unto all, but it's, it's uh, only upon them that believe. And, uh, you know, there are, there are people who like to twist the scriptures to say that everybody winds up saved in the end. They believe in a, a universal... Uh, salvation, where in the end everybody gets saved. Now, some you know people believe people who hold to that view believe different things about it. Some believe you have to go through some period of cleansing or whatever, and they wind up making up all kinds of unbiblical doctrines. Uh, and many of them have even the devil himself winding up saved in the end. That's a that's an unscriptural doctrine that sends people to hell. It sends people to hell because it says. It's not important. It's not important what you believe. You're going to wind up saved in the, in the end. Now, they think in doing that that they are emphasizing the, the grace of God and the mercy of God and the, the uh, you know, greatness of what Christ accomplished at Calvary. But in the process, they wind up denigrating the justice of God. They wind up, they wind up corrupting who God is and, and what his essential character is. Yes, God is merciful, but God is also just. And you see that, that that righteousness is upon them that believe. Now, it says, it says that there is no difference at the end of verse 22, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the, the believer or the unbeliever, there's no essential difference between them as far as their, their character and, and that kind of thing. Um, there, there's nothing that... that uh, there's nothing that that believer has done that has made them better than the unbeliever, right? All that the believer has, they've received by grace, um, and, and uh, they can't take any credit for it themselves because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When it says all have sinned and, and come short of that glory, 
That includes you. That includes me. We've come short of it. Uh, in fact, the, the wording there, the, some of the grammar there doesn't completely come across in the English, maybe. It says, all have sinned, right? And, and most people, you know, if you talk to people, if you talk to people uh, about the gospel, talk to people about sin, most people don't have a problem admitting that they have sinned, Okay? Uh, maybe there's a few out there that would, but most people don't have a, a problem admitting that they have sinned. But when it says that all come short of the glory of God, you know that that's in the present tense. It doesn't mean you just have come short in the past. It means you're continually coming short of the glory of God. And, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting thing when you, when you talk to people um, how, you know, they'll, they'll often certainly be willing to admit they have sin, but, but they use the word but to excuse their sin. This, but I'm doing a lot better now. Right? People say that a lot. If, if you, really, you know, really talk to people about these matters of the word of God, they'll, they'll say, yeah, I, you know, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, but I'm, I'm doing a lot better now. I'm doing pretty good now. And they'll start to list the, the good things that they're doing now that they hadn't been doing before. Um, that verse does away with that. Uh, it's not as if you came short of the glory of God in the past, but now you're doing pretty good at, at attaining to the glory of God. No, we continually come short of the glory of God. Um, the, the, uh, the state of, of the sinner in these verses... And again, we didn't go through the chapters 1 and, and 2, but Paul just takes all the excuses that people can give and does away with them. And uh, here, again, he's just repeating for emphasis that conclusion of those first couple of chapters that all have sinned and come short. But verse 24 says, being justified freely by his, excuse me, by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Being justified. Now that word justified means to be declared righteous or to be set forth as righteous. Uh, it, it is a, a legal term. It would be, for instance, when somebody is found not guilty in a court of law, they, you would consider them to be justified. They are declared legally not to be guilty of that crime. Now, a court can only justify, if you want to use that term, in the case of a single crime, right? A court can't declare somebody justified overall. They can say in that specific case, this person was just. They were not guilty of what they were accused of. But here it says that, that the believer, those that believe, when it says that righteousness of God is upon them that believe, God justifies that sinner and he takes his righteousness and imputes it to them. So that it's more than just what a, what a human court can do in saying you're not guilty in this particular instance, but rather God takes his righteousness and applies it to the believer. Just like if you were to keep a, a ledger book of all your righteousnesses and unrighteousnesses, God takes and essentially blots all that out and he puts his righteousness there in its place. That's what's in the account of the believer. 
in other places when it talks about in Romans chapter 8 when it talks about how there's no condemnation and that kind of thing. That can only be true because God has put his righteousness upon the believer. And it says that we've been justified freely. And that word, freely, is an important word in Scripture. In fact, one of the very first corruptions of the Word of God had to do with that word freely. Uh, put, a, put a hand here in Romans, or a, or a marker or something in Romans 3. Go back to the book of Genesis. Go back to the book of Genesis, chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, when God created man, he gave him an instruction. And it says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, And the Lord God took the man, put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest, notice the word, freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. He tells them every tree of the garden you can freely eat of except for one. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he says in the, in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Now as you continue on then into, into Genesis chapter 2, you see how God creates woman. He gives us instruction to Adam. But he creates woman. And in Genesis chapter 3, you have another character show up, the serpent. And the serpent, who is the devil, he begins to, to tempt Eve uh, with regard to the word of God. This, is the, this temptation that goes on here is really a doctrinal debate, really, between the serpent and Eve. And I want you to notice some of the things that, that happen here with the word of God. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Now, did God tell them, Don't eat of every tree of the garden? He told them, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden except for the one. Right? And Satan knows what the instruction was. But, see, Satan is subtle. He's not going to come along and just say, Eve, you should disobey God. That's not what he's going to do. That wouldn't be subtlety. He's going to come and he's going to start to kind of test her knowledge of the Word of God. Now, we don't know how Eve would have, you know, we presume that Adam would have taught these things to Eve. Uh, hopefully, Adam taught him. Properly, but maybe Adam didn't correctly teach Eve the instruction that had been given from God. But you see, Satan comes along, and, and the, the implication there in what Satan says is, how unfair of God that he would withhold something from you, right? And he, he intentionally distorts the word of God in order to test her understanding. And I want you to notice how Eve responds. The woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Do you, compared with the instruction that we read in chapter 2, do you notice anything missing from her initial response? She left out the word freely. And so first of all, you have Eve taking away from the word of God. You know that, that uh, 
there's three times in the Bible where it warns against taking away from the Word of God. You have it in the book of Deuteronomy, you have it in the the book of Psalms, and you have it in the book of Revelation. You have it in the beginning of the Bible, the middle and the end. It warns, don't take away from God's Word. And some word that you may think isn't important, like, well, like what we looked at earlier, of or in. Um, Don't change God's Word. Here, she leaves out. She leaves out that word freely. And that's not the only alteration she makes to the word of God. Uh, She says, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. She leaves out the word freely. Uh, She says, of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it. Now, do you remember anything about touching the tree in the instruction sheet? So she takes away from the word of God. She adds to the word of God. And, and then she says at the end, Neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now that sounds like there's some uncertainty there. Maybe you died, maybe you wouldn't. God said the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so she takes away from the word of God. She adds to the word of God and she waters down the word of God. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.